0: this is Laura Hutchinson. I welcome you back to Love God and Your Neighbor. I've been away for a little while, and so I am glad to be back here with you, and I'm glad that you're joining me. Um, Today's sermon is based on the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin found in Luke 15, and it is taking me in a place that I am not very comfortable with. Um, as I prepared the sermon, I thought the sermon was going to be about one thing, and it turned out to go in a very different direction, which often happens when I'm writing sermons. I start with lots and lots of prayer. I stop periodically. When I start to feel like I'm floundering, I pray again. God keeps me going straight and forward. But very often, my sermons take me to a place that surprise even me. I hope that you uh, are interested in, in where this sermon goes. Be patient with me. There are times in the sermon when I say things that if they were taken out of context, people might think that I was a pretty terrible person. But I like to put things in perspective. I like to take the sermon from point A to point B. I like to show the transition and the transformation that even I receive in the gospel. And so stay with me, stay through the sermon, listen from beginning to end, and see where this message will take you. Thank you so much. I love you all. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So the sermon title today is Jesus Makes Everyone Equal. When I first saw the scripture in the lectionary text, I thought, oh good parables! I like preaching parables! And when I decided on the title of the sermon, I was thinking, oh, God is amazing. How wonderful is it that we have a God whose goal for creation is to make even the downtrodden equal to everyone else. I can't wait for the kingdom to come, I thought. And then I started spending more time with the scripture, reading it and reading it again and then reading it again So on the first read-through, I pictured Jesus sitting at a table with a bunch of poorly lowly outcasts, while the snobby Pharisees looked down their noses at all of the unclean people. I heard Jesus shaming those self-righteous Pharisees by saying, God loves that one little scared lost sheep as much as God loves them. On the second and the third read-through, I tried to look at it from different angles, from different characters' perspectives. And eventually I came to the perspective of the Pharisees, and the whole situation turned upside down. Huh, I thought. I think maybe the Pharisees are the good guys here? And I was reminded at that moment of a lecture on preaching that I attended one time, where the speaker kept emphasizing that if you were comfortable with the gospel, then something was wrong. The gospel is supposed to make you uncomfortable. The truth is, the tax collectors at the time when Luke was written was, were the scum of the earth. They were a plague on society. They were powerful and parasitic, sucking the hard-working people of the entire empire dry. They are the embodiment of social injustice. Their job was to come into town to collect the emperor's taxes, and then they were allowed to take as much as they wanted, over and above the taxes, for their own payment. Now, if they had collected what was fair for themselves, that wouldn't have been as much of a problem. But often these tax collectors took advantage of their position, of their power, and they took everything the people had sometimes. Everyone hated the tax collectors. They weren't still do. They weren't just sinners. They were evil. They were evil. So imagine that Jesse James and his posse of gangsters rode into your town brandishing guns and demanding that you give them every dollar that you have. And then to make matters worse, they all take the food in, the, in your kitchen and they burn your storehouse as well. And as you look to the sheriff for help, he just shrugs, he's frustrated, Because Jesse James is sanctioned by the U.S. government to come in and take whatever he wants to do, whatever he wants to do. And then after a year of barely being able to feed your children or yourselves because Jesse took you for everything you had, here he comes again to take it all once more. And as you look into the years to come, Your heart sinks with hopelessness because this government-approved bandit will keep coming and coming, and you will never be able to make him stop. That's how the people felt about the tax collectors in Jesus' day. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So who are the people today that repulse you? Who are the leaders of sin and injustice that you would never, could never invite to your table for dinner? KKK members, leaders of drug cartels, human traffickers, the government, Auburn or Alabama fans, people with control issues, issues. these are the people who make our skin crawl. Our throats close up, and our blood pressure rise. We hate these people, and we feel fairly comfortable that we're justified to feel this way. They are bad people. And imagine how now that Jesus has returned, the second coming is here, And with a heart filled with love, the first people Jesus looks for are the worst people in the world. KKK leaders, the drug cartel families, human traffickers, and the like. How does that make you feel? So to be completely honest, it makes my heart hurt a little bit. Honestly, there are a couple of groups of people out there that I don't want to see forgiven. It makes me sick to my stomach to think that I could share heaven with them someday. For example, think of Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire human trafficker who recently killed himself in prison. Part of me likes to think that that there is a special place in hell for him a place with which he is now intimately familiar. But What if he had asked God for forgiveness in the name of Jesus as he was dying? Where might he be instead? Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost, Until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Rachel Held Evans said once, What makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. And she was right. Let us not underestimate the overwhelming power of God's grace. And let's not underestimate the amount of love that God has for each person that he created. Here in this room, right now, are confessed lovers of Jesus who have only minutes ago repented of our sins. We are reveling in righteousness, and God is pleased with us. But God is also seriously grieving the hundreds, the thousands of individuals who are at this very moment lost to the kingdom. God yearns for these people who have rejected him, for the people who have turned away from the commandments, and maybe especially for the people whose rebellion against heaven causes pain and suffering for the rest of creation. Not only does God grieve, but all of the angels weep with him. And still God searches Jesus, in the form of the body of Christ, the church universal, searches for those lost sheep. God looks for the non-believers, the adulterers, the thieves, the liars. And God also searches for the Harvey Weinsteins, the Osama Bin Ladens, the Hector Salazars, and the Adolf Hitlers in the world. Jesus looks under every rock, around every corner, and in every closet. And on those days that are steeped in miraculous power, when one of those seemingly unredeemable souls turns to Jesus and says, forgive me, then God and all the heavenly hosts weep this time for joy. It is difficult to understand that kind of love, because how can you love someone that creates chaos and suffering for others? What kind of person can look into the eyes of the worst sinners among us and say, I love you, and I forgive you? What kind of person wants to see those kinds of people completely washed clean of all their sins and forgiven for everything that they have done? If you are a parent... Think about the day your child was born. If you're not a parent, imagine what your child, if you had had one, would have been like. Think about all of the love that you felt for that baby. All of the hopes and the dreams of what that child might become. And then one day, a horror you could have never imagined happens. You turn on the news, and you see your child's face. Your child has been arrested at the scene of a mass shooting. How do you react? What do you think and feel? Do you immediately stop loving your child, even though you are repulsed by what he or she has done? Most parents would not. And then imagine a year has gone by and all your dreams for your child are gone. They will live the rest of their life in prison. They have no future and they are lost to you forever. So I ask again, what kind of a person can look into the eyes of the worst sinners among us and say, I love you. What kind of person wants to see those kinds of people completely washed clean of all their sins and forgiven for everything they have done? Well, a parent, of course. God loves each of us equally the way the greatest of all parents loves all of their children. God's heart breaks any time any one of us strays from God's side. And the farther we wander, the more painful it is for God. For people like all of you who are filled with compassion for the disenfranchised, for the marginalized, and for the least of these, you you can connect to a Savior who advocates justice. Your hearts lead you to be kind and welcoming to the homeless, to the abused, and to the hungry. Mine does too. This is love that we understand. But the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels goes far beyond what many of us can comprehend. Unless we think like a parent, a mother, or a father. What woman having ten children... If she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the neighborhood, and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the child that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The truth of God's love is pretty overwhelming. It is often greater than we can grasp. But the good thing is we don't have to understand it to receive it. We don't have to be able to love like God does to be loved by God. But we are called to try to love like God. We are called to spread the gospel to all people. And we're called to keep searching for the lost in the name of Jesus. So let us give thanks today for our God that is love. And let us give thanks for the fact that God's love is given freely, and most importantly, equally, to everyone. Amen? Amen.